You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. In this episode, we're talking agriculture from two angles, equity investment into working farms and lending to farmers to get them through a tough growing season or to expand their operations. Both of my guests have a great deal of experience in their respective areas, and you'll love to hear about how Canadian agriculture is staying competitive and delivering quality food to your table. Well, welcome everybody. This is Alternative Thinking with CASA and I'm James Barron. Today we're going to be talking farmland with Kent Wilmore with Ag Invest Farmland Property of Canada and Greg Callow with Glengarry Farm Finance. Uh, let's get into get into introduction. Start with you, Greg. What's uh, what's Glengarry and uh, and what do you guys do for farmers? Uh, sure. Uh, nice to meet you and thanks for having me on. Um, Glengarry is a private lending business. Um, we're um, we describe ourselves as an institutionally organized non-bank lender, um, and we provide short-term financing to farmers um, uh, to help them through times when they're not uh, uh, bankable in the mainstream banking system, which happens mm-hmm. to farmers on occasion. Yeah, but um, yeah, of course, it's the whims of the weather. Um, I'm talking to people generally, like, you know, in my backyard, I've got a little garden. It's, it's growing like crazy, but, uh, I guess there's times when it doesn't, doesn't really work that way. Um, so how do they generally, you said short term, like what is short term in farmland financing? Is it just like for a few months while they're getting the seed and fertilizer and then they hit the harvest or does, is it, does it sometimes maybe go for a number of years? Um, yeah, we, we lend for any, anywhere from one to three years. Um, the idea behind it is um, we're, we're trying to help them get back into the banking system. Um, sometimes uh, they, can, they can affect a business plan on their farm that puts them back in the banking system within a fairly short amount of time. It might be, uh, it might be a sale of, of uh, excess equipment. It might be a sale of, of, um, of too much land. Um, uh, or it might take a bit longer. Um, they might have to get you know, their, their rolling um, average income to improve, and that can take a couple of years. Um, so uh, we design our lending um, depending on the, uh, what we expect the, um, the, the farmers plan to require. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, the banks are obviously large. So is it most of the big five banks or are there other kind of like specialty lenders? I think there's, there's no like a wheat board that, that lends to farmers as well. Is that mostly in Saskatchewan and that? So uh, there, there are a few, there are a few provincial um, uh, agencies that lend. Um, there are it, what we're talking about is is lending on farmland. We're not talking about lending on farm equipment. Uh, the banks do that as well, uh, but the banks lend on farmland, uh, and most of them do it. Um, a lot of the credit unions in Canada do it. Uh, and the biggest in the in the, the business is Farm Credit Canada, which is a crown corporation. Right. So so they're yeah. about a third third of the market, and the banks the banks make up a bunch more. The private market makes up roughly ten percent of the of the outstanding credit on farms. Ten percent seems less than I thought, but is it has it been growing, or what kind of like market share has it had in the past? Um, it it's been reasonably consistent. 
um, uh, I, I think the private market probably is growing. We're certainly aiming to have it grow, um, mm-hmm. but 10% is a lot of money. 10% is about 12 billion. Oh yeah. And what about, so the types of farms, because when I think of, well, most people think of farming, we think of these, you know, acres and acres of wheat, but obviously there's other many, many crops that people have. So is it, it, it is, are you mostly in Ontario? Uh, so what kind of, what geography do you cover and then what, what types of, of crops do you uh, deal in against or crop land, I guess? Yeah. So at, at the moment we're in Ontario and all the Western provinces, uh, we will expand East, um, get, getting th- Quebec's a pretty big market. It's, um, uh, it's yeah. just a hard one for a small organization like ours to address because we have, we'd have to replicate so much of our infrastructure to, to work in Quebec. Uh, it's just not feasible for us right now. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, but we're in the really big markets. We're in Ontario, um, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Um, we lend on, uh, we lend on real farmland. We don't lend on, on, um, land that looks like a farm, but is valued like a future subdivision. Um, oh, and, okay. and we lend, we lend to, we lend to the main production types. So, um, uh, commercial grains, um, other crops, fruits, vegetables, dairy, cattle, um, we, we are capable of lending on other types of agriculture, but we're, um, we're quite cautious. So we'd be very cautious around, um, uh, specialized type of livestock, uh, as an example. Like emus and stuff like that, or buffaloes or what kind of, <laughs> um, bu- bu- buffaloes, we've actually looked at, at some bison loans. Um, they're, they're not that challenging for us, uh, because, um, you know, if, if, if bison isn't working, beef will very likely work. Um, uh-huh. uh, if emu's not working, um, uh, yeah, you got to think hard about what else would work. Um, and you know, something like emu or ostrich, mm-hmm. um, there, there's so few people doing it. If, if your, if your ostrich farmer, um, is having trouble, um, uh, you know, it's, it's probably an ostrich farmer who's, who's required to, um, you know, solve the lender's problem. Uh, and that, that next ostrich farmer might be a little hard to find, um, or he might be having the same trouble. Interesting. And how does, uh, people talk about this all the time. Well, there's, there's a, some famous, uh, shows about a succession with, with farms. Like, do you, do you get involved in that when the, the next generation is coming into that? Or is that, or are you looking more for just the, the steady state sort of, uh, farmers and, and the, the land they have? Yeah. So, uh, we, we do, um, uh, the banks have a little trouble sometimes lending into family situations where, you know, two or three of the siblings want to be bought out uh, and one wants to hang around the farm and be a farmer. Um, uh, that, that individual might not have sufficient history um, uh, or there might be other, some other, you know, financial mm-hmm. challenges or, or credit challenges that that, that, that uh, individual has. Um, and so we, we see a reasonable amount of that type of lending. Let's, let's go to Kent, because uh, I know Kent, you you have a bit of a different tact on uh, on the farmland uh, aspect here. So let's let's hear about your business with with Ag, Ag Invest and and how you um, I guess service the the many farmers that are out there that are looking for various uh, liquidity and such. Sure, uh, yeah, thanks for having me as well. And Ag Invest is a little different. We do not do lending. So we are a farmland mm-hmm. investment firm. We, we purchase and um, obtain farmland and we provide investment products for those who want to invest in farmland. So we're essentially a company that stands in the middle between those who want to invest in farmland and farm families because they speak completely different languages. 
and it's sort of the thesis behind why yeah. the company started. And there needs to be a, a translator that can communicate the benefits to both. And, and that's what AgInvest does. Very cool. And how about, uh, like similarly to, uh, to Greg, like how, what percentage of, of farms or farmland is, is owned by entities like yours, uh, operators, uh, and how, or how much by owner operators. And then, um, yeah, I guess how much of each farm would you buy a hundred percent of it or a small portion? Negative? Yeah. Pretty, so, yeah. So, so in Canada, we're actually really in the top of the first inning and globally we're, we're quite early in, in, in the farmland investment, uh, I guess, uh, time period or time frame. It's very much like investing in, you know, commercial or residential properties were 20 or 30 years ago, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't a thing to invest in properties like that. And now it's, it's mm -hmm. a big, big segment of the market. So in Canada, we're less than 2% owned by institutional investors or by, by, you know, pension funds and whatnot, less than 2%. Uh, we actually think it's down near 1%. So very, very young in terms of how much money is being deployed in Canadian farmland. The rest of it is owned by uh, farm families. And um, so, so like, like the bulk of the farmland is, is owned and operated by farmers. And we, we're going to get into this, the succession problems and some of the difficulties they're having. And that's where both Greg's company and our company can come in and help. But when we buy land, we actually take full title of the land. And, and we don't typically go in and buy an entire operation. We're usually buying one farm of perhaps a package of farms and, and, and it's usually wow. has something to do with a succession issue. Maybe there's a, a few kids that would like to depart, not farm. And there's one that, that does want to farm. Every single situation is different and it almost always involves a family situation. Interesting. And you mentioned the pensions too. Yeah. Cause there was something, is there some sort of rule they can't buy so much of farmland like certain percentage or something like that or i think there because i know that there was a big pension that was going into it and then they didn't or something like that and, and uh, that probably sent some turmoil into the, the market for a bit because pricing might have been weird yeah cpp uh went in pretty aggressively into the saskatchewan farmland market and yeah there were some rules made by the provincial government there to, to slow that process down I, I don't think that that may have well, we can talk about the benefits or the, or the problems with that decision, but every province mm -hmm. is different. Ontario, there's no ownership restrictions, and um, Saskatchewan may or not be thinking about changing their, their restrictions on institutional investment. But there was a study done at the Senate level in the federal government, and um, <clears throat> it was found that, uh, like I said, between 1% and 2% of farmland is owned by by investors so it's it yeah i guess i guess to many people's surprise it's far less than what people think and now the united states are quite a bit ahead of us they're actually up near 14 percent uh institutional ownership uh, so so they're quite a bit ahead like i said canada is is way way behind in, in the amount of investment that's gone into farmland that's interesting and um it kind of reminds me of timber because I know there's well most of Canada's crown land they just have stumpage fees, but a lot of the U.S. is privately owned timber, so yeah. it's probably not a direct analogy because it's the farmers that are owning it, and then they're um, instead of instead of the uh, the government. So yeah, let's get to the succession because I think you you guys both can talk about. Let's start start with you, Kent. Like so, what's the you said? There's quite a few different scenarios, but what's kind of your your typical couple of or three scenarios? Is it like one? Family member, uh, son or daughter says, "Yeah," or grandson or daughter says, "Hey, we want to, we want to continue being a farmer. We're not going to the big city anytime soon," sort of thing. 
and then but they've got to come up with x millions of dollars to to finance this thing and then uh, and how, how how does that and how does it get or does it is it trend does it transition back into their hands 100 percent because i guess they pay down the loans like how does that whole it's probably like a multi-decade kind of plan that you have here for these guys yeah this actually the succession conundrum I, I personally faced it. And it's, again, it's part of the reason why this company mm-hmm. was founded and started. And there's two sides to this discussion. I'll start with the, the side of the average age of the farmer in Canada, and it's almost 60 years of, of age. That's that's the average age of the folks that Whoa. are owning, owning farmland. So if the average or median age is 59.6 or 60 years of age, let's call it, that means that 50% of the land is owned by those who are older than 60. So there's a, there's an issue there. And one of the things I was, I was upset as a youngster is I was always wondering like, why do these farm farmers, why do they have to, why do they get to enjoy their wealth after they've passed away? And I just always, like, that's, it just, it just seems so unfair. Like what's the purpose of that? Right. So why can't these, these folks have a way to exit or exit slowly or, or exit and still continue to farm and just have really unique strategies so they can, be happy and you know stay on the farm, continue to farm it, but also ha- also have some liquidity. You know, investors talk about liquidity all the time, but these farm mm-hmm. families don't necessarily have that option, especially if they don't have the younger generation coming up. So it's like providing liquidity option to a farm family. It's pretty cool. It's like providing liquidity to an investor. And on the other side of things is the young farmer, and that's where I I once was. I was trying to buy farmland. I was working with a tier one bank. And I started to buy a farm. I didn't need the cash flow because I had an ag business going on the side. So I didn't need the cash flow. So I started mm-hmm. to buy farmland. I bought my first, my second, my third. I went to buy my fourth farm because my equity was going up. I was quite happy. And the banker said, we're not going to loan to you anymore because uh, um, the debt to equity is okay, but you don't have the cash flow. But I said, but Mr. Banker, look at my net worth. It's done quite well. Why can't I buy more farmland? So because of the way the banking systems work, it's very, very difficult for a young farmer to enter and build a portfolio of farmland to make it sustainable. In Ontario, especially, you need $20 million of money to, make it, to buy 1,000 mm. acres of land. How, how does anyone in their 20s do that? So there's a yeah. real need for, to have capital come in and help the younger generation, and there's a need for capital to come in and help the older generation looking for a liquidity strategy. Wow. How about on your side, Greg? That sounds like it's uh, it's talking about banks loaning and not not really giving um, you know the due to folks that have their equity growing, but they need the income. So, how do you guys view a young farmer like Kent was and saying, "Are you going to say, hey, you got you're on the you're on the growth track? Let's 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 give you the liquidity, the, the you know the 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 the, lent, the the boring that you need." Um, and then, how do you like, do you transition them back into the banks? So are you mostly looking for folks that are in this this more of this uh, like uh, cash flow crunch that they have for a little while. Um, it, the the scenario that Kent just described is a very very common uh, scenario that, mm-hmm. that we address. Um, you know, banks look for um, uh, you know typical uh, debt service coverage ratio from a farm, and um, you know a situation that Kent described where you know I've got a young farmer with you know lots of equity and land. Uh, but not much, not much income to support debt payments uh, is very, very hard for a bank to address. Um, um, mm-hmm. We we look primarily at equity and land, um, and in fact, you know, a, a reasonably common structure that uh, is that exists in private lending is 
uh, an interest reserve. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lend the farmer. It's sort of like construction lending. Um, you, you know, you lend the farmer the interest payments as well. Um, so oh, if, if we see, yeah. if, if we see someone with, you know, 40% equity in land, um, we're happy to lend them, um, some of that in order to, uh, address their needs. Um, but the, the flip side of that is the other reason. So, so banks, banks don't do that kind of equity bridge lending, um, nor does, nor does farm credit Canada. Um, the, the, the sort of flip side of that equation is, um, uh, debt service coverage, um, you know, you're going to have a bad year in farming every five or six years, probably. Um, if that bad year falls into your numbers, banks typically look at a rolling three-year average uh, income. If that bad year falls into your numbers at a time when you need to renew debt or, or take on fresh debt uh, with the bank, you might not be bankable. Um, and then you have to go to the private market. And so we try to address that uh, requirement as well. Well, let's go right to the risks here. So obviously farm farming, you can have bad years, bad crops, bad, lots of stuff can happen. Um, what are the, like, uh, why, why do farms, I guess, I don't know if they go under, because they always have this, this producing asset. It's not like the, uh, the farm stops producing it, as long as they're throwing the seeds in the ground. But what, what kind of leads to a farm uh, getting into real, real trouble? Uh, and then what, how does it get out of it? Or what are the general remedies? It's important to understand that most farmers in this country and most of the most of the families that own farmland are actually, generally speaking, quite wealthy and they are land rich. Uh, quite often, uh, they're they may there may be they may be cash poor, but they're quite they're, they're land rich. So the complete you know going under strategy very rarely happens is what I see, uh, unless there's some you know really really bad management happening but to be honest i think most farmers are actually excellent managers and both business managers and farmers so i know i know i can't speak for out west uh, but i know in ontario mm -hmm. the risks are different in ontario and that's where we stay focused is in ontario the risks are different because of the amount of rain the climate we have the consistency of heat and we we rarely have crop failures. We we don't have the situation where oh, wow. we have you know one year is 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 terrible out of five. We we don't have that. Our insurance rates in Ontario are are so cheap. It'd be like buying a Ferrari and paying a hundred bucks a year for the for the car insurance type thing. It's it's quite cheap, and the actuarial scientists make it such because the the consistency of the crops in, in the province of Ontario because of the rainfall and heat make it that the list, the risk is quite low to the farmer. So I, I think the bigger risks really are, are, are the, the search to gain uh, an optimal level of farmland to, to find the, the economies of scale that farmers need today. That's the biggest risk. It, it's how quickly they can get their operations to a scale that makes sense. And, and that's where they need lending, they need capital, they need solutions, and they need to work with the older generation because if, if you've seen equipment these days out in the road, if anyone has been out there and looked, looked at a new combine, you know, a new combine, yeah. you, can, you, can spend, you can spend upwards of $1.6, $1.7 million for a combine. You know, tractors cost five, dollars $600,000. So it's not like you can just go and farm 100 to 200 acres. In Ontario, you need to be farming at least 1,000 acres to make, it, to make mm. economies of scale. And out in the Prairie Province, it's, it, you know, it's more like five, 6,000 acres to make it make sense. So I think the biggest risk that we have as farmers is really trying to get to that economies of scale as, as quickly as possible. And it's how, how, how hard you push in that gas pedal to get there is where the risks come in. 
Yeah, I, I agree um, with that completely. Um, we, we see a couple of other things, but um, it's, it's, it's you know, two things. Um, uh, the pursuit of scale um, and, and the, you know, the, the math that you're describing, Kent, um, makes complete sense. Um, sometimes they get over their skis a little too much um, in pursuit of scale. It might be buying mm-hmm. too much equipment um, because, you know, they're leasing a bunch of acreage. Um, and then a few years later, they lose the lease. Now they don't have enough income to, to, to uh, support the equipment payments. Um, it might be buying too much land. We see a slightly different um, element as well, which is um, farmers are very knowledgeable about farmland and they're huge, huge believers uh, in, its, in its value. Um, mm-hmm. We see farmland speculators. Uh, we see farmers who are buying land because they know it's going to go up in value um, and they know they're going to make money on it. Uh, they're not necessarily farming it. Uh, they're not necessarily doing it for scale. Uh, they're doing it because they've got money um, and they know it's an asset they understand and that they know it's going to be worth more in a year, two, three, ten. Uh, and they want to participate in that. Um, so we see that. Oh, wow. There's a lot going on here. Um <laughs> For Kent, like you mentioned futures, and I think you just you're doing just vegetables, Kent, for your stuff, or is it? Are you in other types of uh, crops as well? Well, we we don't tell. Uh, we we work with our farmers in terms of understanding what they're growing because we want to protect mm-hmm. the the soil. That's what the investors investing in is the top sort of 36 inches of the earth surface. But we don't. So in terms of crop type, Ontario has over 150 registered crops. And uh, the farmland, most of most of the farmland in Ontario is capable of growing uh, many different combinations of crops. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that we're farming vegetables. We certainly have a lot of farmers that do farm vegetables on the land on the land that our investors own, but they also grow okay. all kinds of different crops. The the three main crops in Ontario are corn, beans, and wheat. But we can also grow, you know, cherries, asparagus, and peaches. <laughs> so that, that's the unique strategy about Ontario. Yeah, are there futures in all those things too? Because I think there's wheat, there's corn, obviously. Yeah, when we're, uh, when, 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 we're talking, when we're talking about <laughs> futures, when Greg's talking about futures, he's talking about the main commodity crops like corn, beans, yeah. wheat, canola, th- those key things. All the other specialty crops are usually just contracted with, with, uh, with um, you know, producer or manufacturers or whatever the whoever the end oh, user is of the crop. Whatever, you know? yeah. yeah, so yeah, cool. And you mentioned uh, again, like solutions and stuff. So you guys, and, and obviously, like you mentioned, there also there's you know, working with them to get the right crop for that like 36 inches there. So mm-hmm. is there a lot of uh, advice that comes from you, and then Greg can opine as well, like for for the farmers, or is it they you kind of let them do a, as they like, or how, how much do they rely on you uh, other than just just the money? Yeah, I, I honestly the the farmers in the province, and I really think across the country are just exceptional uh, they're excellent at what they do and it, it's not like i i'm i'm pumping their tires like they have to be excellent at what they do because there's a <laughs> lot of input costs that go into this and it's very serious and, and they, they, there's really no room for being sloppy as a farmer these days especially when your economies of scale like we're at now you have to be on it so we're not really giving them advice on how to farm we're, we're more so looking after the asset which is the farmland and we're, we're trying to make mm-hmm. every farm as productive as possible and we're so we're doing things that help the farmer like we're, we're taking care of drainage we're taking care of irrigation if we need it we're taking care of cleaning up the farms and just making them as productive as possible every farm we buy we're trying to make it the best farm possible It'd be like buying a, 
a house that mm-hmm. needs new windows and we put new windows in every time. Then the farmer comes in and, and, and deploys the crop strategy that, that he or she is likes to grow. You know, every farmer has a different combination of, of crops and they're usually excellent on it, but we're testing the soil nutrients and we're making sure the soil is being taken care of. We're worried about cover crops and soil erosion, but the farmers are excellent to work with. Uh, typically, they, they, they we're on the same page. Cool. I will from your side, Greg. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, uh, if, if you're a Glengarry um, client, um, you know, you've, you've heard from your bank um, what they think your problem is. Uh, you know, you know what, um, what problem you might have. It's, it's temporary, it's fixable, you know how to fix it. Um, Mm -hmm. and all, you know, all we have is uh, a discussion to say, you know, what do you think the issues are? How are we going to get you bankable within one, two or three years? They'll tell you and they're right. Um, so yeah, I mean, they know what they're doing. Love it. And then, uh, you guys mentioned, uh, like bulking up farms, a uh, thousand acres, just like 21 million or 20 million. That's, uh, that's getting there. Uh, and then like five or six thousand. So how, how big can farms get, uh, I guess in Canada, maybe they're, I don't know if they're smaller than in the U S generally, cause it seems to be a bit more corporate down there. So in, in Ontario, there's a difference between the average farm ownership, which is much smaller than the average operational farmer. There's the, there's a the clear difference oh. between the two, like 50% of the land in the province of Ontario it's owned by people who were former farmers or speculators or they inherited the farm or a widow. They're not farming it. So there's a difference between operating size and ownership size. But in terms of operating size, you know, to be efficient, you need to be close to a thousand acres to sort of make sense as a farmer in Ontario. Uh, out west, it's much larger just because the just just the nature of the crops and and the the seasons and the and the climate and there's a lot of different reasons. But there's farms in Ontario that with the, the owners are farming twenty thirty thousand acres. That, that it's incredible. Uh, you know, thirty thirty thousand acre farm in a in a, in Ontario is worth like you know three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> but uh, the the thing is that these these families that are up at that level, you know, it's taken generations to get there, and and they've they've done a great job for for generation after generation after generation. So that 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 that's the problem. If you're a young farmer, you know, it may take you fifty years to get to scale. Well, by then you want to retire. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. <laughs> so we actually have a food security um, issue, not just in Canada, but also around the world. Like this problem is sort of repeating itself everywhere and we have to get a younger generation into farming that's that's a significant concern and and the biggest roadblock for for the youth getting into farmland uh is capital it's it's just it's it's simply that and so we have to i feel uh that we we have to get others involved in in deploying other sources of capital into this asset really to help with our own food security and it's not about gobbling up and owning land. It's like, why can't we have other Canadians owning Canadian farmland? There's only, yeah. in Ontario, there's only 48,000 people that own farmland in Ontario. And I think there's 14 million people in Ontario, or 15 million. So 48,000 out of 15 million own all the far- own all the farmland. So, uh, you know, sharing that a little bit, bringing some stability to our food security and helping that younger generation enter the farming world, I think is a really good thing for everybody. Yeah, for sure. The issue, um, you know, the issue with a young farmer uh, that has to buy farmland as opposed to inheriting farmland um, is that 
uh, you know, farm, farm economics um, uh, are the, you know, the actual yields are very, very low. And so it's really hard to make sense of, you know, starting up a farm and going out and buying farmland as opposed to inheriting farmland. Um, and that's, that's part of the challenge. Um, it's, it's not one, it's not one the banks can readily address. Um, it's not one that we can address in whole. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, a business like Kent's, which has very long-term patient capital, um, uh, is more, more of that solution, I would say, than debt because debt, debt's costly. Mm-hmm. And, and and to and to Greg's point, the the problem we're seeing is we we've run into some families that you know have taken honestly hundreds of years to build their portfolio of farmland, mm-hmm. and when you talk about passing that farmland to the next generation or giving it away essentially to the children, uh, you know that's that's been the trend for for many many decades and generations. But the problem now is with farmland being as valuable as it is. It really it becomes a problem when you're when you're passing down tens of millions of dollars to the next generation. Well, you know, what happens to people when you pass down that? And if you don't pass it down in equal distribution, then fights ensue. Mm-hmm. And we have seen some really really unfortunate things with farm families because you know maybe the son was given the farm and the other son wasn't. So these these problems are real. They're happening all the time. And that's why just passing the farm down is just not as easy as it used to be. So there needs to be solutions for the older generation as well. Because the last thing they want to do is when they're 75 or 80 years old, pass something down to their children before they pass away. And then the family's fighting. There goes Christmas. There goes Thanksgiving. And I, and it sounds silly, but I mean, it's really happening. It's it's happening a lot. and People don't know it. Yeah. I, actually, So I live in King City, which is farm-ish. Um, and, uh, you know, a friend of mine said there's probably like four or five families that own a good chunk of, of that area, like, like York, York region. And, you know, it's been slowly developed and, uh, well, sometimes quickly. Um, and then there's so maybe whatever it was, four or five families of that 48,000 people in Ontario that own the bulk of the farmland. So is this something that's. And, and I know Greg, you, you mentioned that you don't really you don't lend on if they're going to rezone this thing or you know may have a big big payout. I guess which probably makes a lot of sense because it may not happen. Um, but how much is that on your radar versus just saying, you know what, like ninety nine percent of the land out there is going to be farmland for the next twenty or thirty years, so it's just it's not really um, a part of what you're like when you look at your um, your valuations and calculations. How, how does that fit? Let me start with Greg. Um. It, it, you know, I, I think it's hard for us to, to make sense of um, lending to land that is, um, you know, the subject of, of value speculation. It's, it's got to make sense on farm economics. Um, so that's, you know, a challenge for places that are really close to urban, um, urban boundaries. Uh, you know, King City is incredibly valuable land. Um, uh, it would be hard. It would be hard to make sense of a lot of farm economics unless you had really big scale in a place like that. I'm sure. I'm sure um, Kent could Kent could address the the amount needed more readily than I. But um, uh, yeah, that's that's tricky. But those those families, the four or five families, um, uh, they're incredibly wealthy. Um, yeah. You know, and and so you know they're able to buy um, to buy land without much concern about it, you know, paying bills. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add, I agree fully with what Greg said. James King City is is some of the most expensive land in the in the province, and it has nothing to do with farmland. <laughs> it is farmland, but it's just an, it's just in a holding pattern for development. And we do not partake in uh, development land. We don't speculate. We we buy farmland for the purpose of farming for many generations to come. Uh, sometimes, if we buy too close to a to to a city, then then maybe somebody would want to one day take it over to become urban development but that's not what we're investing in we're investing in farmland and farmland economics so we we mm-hmm. we would not buy a farm near king city not that it's a bad investment it's just that that's not what we that's not what we specialize in yeah yeah you look on the old maps of toronto and you can see like even north of whatever lawrence it was just like well yeah all farm everywhere really until until it got developed but yeah it's uh yeah probably not something to bank on so how about your individual uh, Instagram account there for the, for the for the funds like the terms like how, what can people what are people buying um, is there like a lock period uh, subscription redemptions fees and stuff like that uh, and so how does this work with uh, and and the, obviously you talked about the, the deploying of the capital but what about when you're attracting capital to your funds. So, so we have only one fund that's currently open. It's a corporate structure. It's a it's a six year hold. Uh, there is opportunity to exit after wow. three years, uh, but it's a six year hold, which isn't terribly um, terribly long. Uh, not it's, it's, it's not a super liquid investment, but uh, farmland itself is actually quite liquid. It's 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 like putting a for sale sign up at a house in Toronto. Like it's not a matter of if you're going to sell it; it's how many offers you're going to get. And that's the same with farmland. So farmland is not illiquid. Huh. The structures that are out there are, are where the liquidity, the illiquidity is. And we we want to have patient investors because our strategy is to buy farmland, optimize it, improve its productivity. And uh, it's a long term investment. So that's that's why we have those those um, those illiquidity. Um, it's part of the part of the investment. But we think six years is not a long time. We're also in the process of, of launching a new fund. We're looking, we're, we're working with a few different options, but we're looking for sort of a, a lead, a key lead investment partner. Most of the terms will probably work with that key lead individual, but it's also going to be a place where our original investors can flow into because a lot of our original investors want to stay invested. So that will be a place for them to go as well once once the first four funds uh, terms, terms uh, come due. Cool. So this is like all... Distinct, like closed end funds, and just a six-year term. So after six years, it's liquidated, or or is, it, is that a minimum six-year hold or something like that? I'd... Yeah. So simply put, we are not sellers of farmland. We do not want to. We do not want to be selling farmland. Yeah. So one one of the one of the key things that we really haven't talked about is the value of consolidation. So one of the issues that farmers face is, generally speaking, is is they 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 grow a crop. And then they have a crop and they have to sell that crop to uh, an intermediary. And, and the intermediary takes, takes that crop and, and adds tremendous value before it gets to retail. So the farmers are really at a, quite a huge disadvantage. But those farmers who are able, so I, I'll give you an example of a carrot farmer. A carrot farmer grows carrots, sells those carrots for, let's call it 10 cents a pound to a, to a processor. And then the processor sells that same 10 cent a pound carrot in the grocery store for 2.99. So there's a huge delta there, right? We can all see that math. Wow. But we know carrot farmers, friends of mine actually, who have gone from that 10 cent sale 
to they've gotten large enough. They found the scale through consolidation and through capital raises and whatnot to, to where now they are the ones selling it to their own production facility, cleaning it, bagging it. They have their own marketing department, their own brand name, their own label. And now they're going directly to Costco USA, directly to Walmart, directly to, you know, and now, now they're capturing that huge Delta. So consolidating farmland is the long-term strategy here. So when we go back to the fund level and we have a six year hold, Ideally, we want those funds, fund one, for example, will exit into fund five and then fund two will go into fund Mm -hmm. six. And eventually our goal is to build a very large portfolio of high value farmland. And once you get to that level, then then there's there's large pension funds that would would absolutely love to have that portfolio and and keep it as a, you know, offset liabilities inside of large Canadian pension funds. That's yeah. the, that, that's the goal here is to keep it to keep it in Canada, but get it to those institutional in, that inti- institutional size that, that makes sense for them to come in and buy. They cannot come in and buy a million dollars at a time if you're a large pension fund. It just it just doesn't move the needle. So that's the goal is we don't want to sell farmland. We want to consolidate it. Very cool. How about yours, Greg? Uh, your, your fund terms and that. Uh, so we're different. We're an open ended limited partnership. Um, we are constantly oh, raising yeah. capital constantly raising capital. Um, we don't offer liquidity just yet, um, but by the end of 2024, uh, uh, we'll enable a quarterly redemption for a certain percentage of the of the fund's assets. Um, uh, so it's a limited partnership with two classes of investment units. There's, there's a preferred A unit, and then there's a B unit, which is a subordinate unit. Um, uh, a has a fixed return. Um, B has a, a variable return, uh, hopefully only variable up, not variable down. Um, and uh, then we, we have a mutual fund trust structure that sits on top of the A unit. So if you are um, uh, a registered account investor, you want to invest your, your RIF or your TFSA or your RSP, you can buy the mutual fund trust units and be tax efficient. No, neat. Yeah, I was going to mention, I, when, I, when you heard the heard the AB, I thought, oh, there must be some sort of uh, tax in here because you can get the income going into your RSP, then that's that's great. Um, and then, but the other stuff is going to be considered, is all interest income, I guess, obviously, because you're, you're, you're lending this money. It's, it. Yeah, yeah, it's interest income. Yeah. How about the taxation on your, your side, Ken? Is this, because I know, obviously, there's a lot of farm tax benefits, but that's only if you're actually running the thing, I guess. So is this like capital gains that you have, or I guess, how's it flow through? Yeah, so our, our first fund, uh, we we're actually we just finished our fifth year, and and a five year CAGR of that first fund is eighteen point zero three percent. So, the funds performed well, farmlands performed well. But in terms of the tax structure, so we have four funds. Like I said, three of those funds are a corporate structure, whereby the investor will partake in the small business capital gains tax exemption. So these. Oh wow! You know, assuming that the investor has has room left in their their lifetime individual small business capital gains tax exemptions, and though they will be eligible for receiving these gains, um, capital gains tax exempt. So how uh, much can, is that? Is that like eight hundred grand or something like that? It's it, it's indexed. It's indexed and it's lifetime, and, and I think this year was up to nine forty five. Farmers get one million even. Uh, and mm. I think that's going to change significantly soon. At least I hope for the sake of farmers. Uh, but the small business is indexed, uh, and it, it's at about nine forty-five, I believe. Holy moly, that's amazing! Um, so you got, yeah, with yours, it's, yeah, you get the, the lifetime exemption for a good chunk of money. Yep. 
And uh, with Glenn Gary, you put the stuff in your RSP and you don't have tax erratic. That's uh, well, this is really tax efficient. Then, right? One thing we haven't talked about is 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 how how farmland performs during periods of inflation. So so here we are in this period of inflation. It, Farmland has outperformed uh, it's almost every asset that exists out there in terms of, I mean, maybe gold's close to it, but farmland has really, really outperformed uh, and continues yeah. to do so. And it's repeating what it did in the 70s. In the 70s, we had a long period of inflation and farmland performed, uh, you know, above 15% for almost 10 years where the S&P did 2%. So big, big difference. Uh, so investing in farmland during periods of inflation is actually a, a great place to to invest. Yeah, and it provides a greater loaning against it than, uh, you know, increase in equity is always good. And what, what sort of loan uh, rates do you, do you think, can you say that, uh, Greg, for your, the loans that you have out there? When we started lending, we were lending in the eights and nines, obviously with the, uh, you know, really dramatic increase uh, from the Bank of Canada. Um, our cost of capital has gone up and now we're lending yeah. in double in double digits. Well, Greg, any last, last thoughts? We're... Getting close to time here. People have loved to listen to this and share. But if you have any parting thoughts, let's hear. Um, uh, we're just looking forward to uh, growing Glengarry to the point where um, you know it's a really meaningful player outside of the banking system. Um, that'll get our cost of capital down, and hopefully, we can be more helpful to more farmers. Love it. How about you, Ken? Yeah, we're we're looking forward to 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 pairing up Canadian investors with Canadian farm families and and working on food security and. And really taking care of farmland, helping the younger generation enter, helping the, the elder generation with, with the graceful exit strategy. And we, we just really enjoy the win-win uh, opportunities we have here. And, and the key thing we're looking for right now is patient investors that understand this asset and want to work with us on our new fund. Love it. Thanks, guys. Well, I think everybody has a lot of food for thought when they, so to speak, when they drive by their, their farms and they head up to places like King City. And, and other places north and east and west, maybe not so myself. But uh, thanks. This has been great, guys. And uh, we look forward to get you guys another podcast uh, together sometime soon. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me.